We are continuing this morning to go through, uh, going through a series on discipleship called Follow, and we're looking at sort of the basic principles, basic elements of what it means to be a Christ follower. And we have studied things like, you know, we looked at things like how to study scripture, what does prayer look like, what does generosity look like, and today, uh, if you haven't picked up on it, we are going through the topic of love and looking at why it's so foundational to our faith and, and what it means to actually live this out and attempt to be a loving person. Now, I want to start uh, by asking a couple questions. And I want, I want hands raised, all right? It won't be anything too convicting, I promise. How many of you feel like you have someone in your life that you love? Okay. How many of you have someone in your life that you love that drives you crazy? Right, okay, right, see, like we're all, we're all in the boat on that one. How many of you have someone in your life right now that you might rather never see again? Right, if we're honest, right? How many of you have had someone actively pursuing you with ill will against you, what we would call an enemy? Right, I have. How many of you have someone in your life that just stresses you the heck out? Right, right, we got those, right? See, it's, it's into these realities that we all have and we all share that we are called to love. Right? We're honest with ourselves. We realize we have these faults and these hang-ups, but at the same time, we know that we're called to be loving people. Jesus, when asked in Matthew 22, what is, what is the greatest command? What does he say? He says the greatest command is to love God, And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law, all the commandments hang on these two things. He says, love your enemy. Love your neighbor. Love one another. We look at John 13. We're going to look at that today. In John 13, Jesus is is, uh, washing the disciples' feet at the Last Supper. And afterwards, he says, I give you a new command. Love one another as I've loved you. And then the world will know that you are my disciples. And we're going to look at 1 John 4, where John, recalling what Jesus has done and what God has done, says, we are called to love because he first loved us. This is foundational to our faith, yet incredibly difficult for us to do, if we're honest. We're really honest. We're, We're half good at loving the people who reciprocate it and somewhat okay at everybody else. But the truth is, we're called to it, and it's foundational to our faith. So... I would argue that not many of us are really great at this, Christian or not. And I don't know that there's any religion in the world that's figured this out. Christianity, we're supposed to do it, but we're not really great at it. And we can look around and see in the world that our world needs it, and our world isn't good at it. We're surrounded by by leaders who, even at the basic township level, come in saying they're going to be benevolent leaders and end up being crooks and thieves and and abusers of power. And we see leaders at higher level of leadership who become dictators and and squash their people. We see relationships regularly that end in court battles and husband and wife loathing one another rather than loving one another. We see it in our own families behind closed doors, right? Right? the lack of love and the coldness that happens there. We see it in our churches. Maybe not this one necessarily, but I know we've all heard of churches that have split over silly things or these things that have happened where even churches aren't good at loving one another. Yet it's supposed to be foundational. And I think 
if we were honest and really allowed ourselves to become introspective and start looking into our own hearts, rather than just looking outside at everything else and everybody else, and really started looking into our own hearts, we would see the anger that we have towards our kids that comes out if we have them. The, the bitterness between us and our siblings, our sister or our brother, a parent who didn't love us right, and the bitterness that's there, the lack of love that's there, the coldness that I talked about, the coldness that comes up in a marriage that just sort of is trudging along, but there's not really any warmth or love there. Church, we'll get into this in a little while, but I would argue that deep down in our hearts, the problem we have with love is, is not that we're full of hatred, but that we're full of pride. I would argue that as much as the opposite of love is hatred, it's very much pride that keeps us from loving others well. Now, I'll give you a caveat that I understand there are people here who have been through horrible pain at the hands of others. I'm not saying that your problem with loving them is pride. I, I get that there's a deeper thing happening there, so please don't say, say that I'm just writing it off as you're bitter and you don't know how to love them because you're too proud. That's not, I'm talking about our basic everyday relationships, all right? This is what we're, we're going after today. So what I want to do is, is take the next little while to look at, at really what love is, which I've been thinking about this for a few weeks. It will melt your brain if you really try to think about what love is. I encourage you to do it. Take this week and try to actually think out, what is love? And I know, like, if you're in my generation, you can picture Jim Carrey, like, head-bopping, what is love? Remember that from Saturday Night Live? Okay. Listen, if you really think about this and get philosophical about it, it will hurt your head to really process what love is. But I'm hoping that, that the, the, the work I've put into this and the study that I've given this, that we'll be able to nail down on a little bit of a definition that hopefully we can hang things on today. So I want to start by looking at what is love and by looking at the character of God. Okay, so if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can, you can go to 1 John 4 if you want to. We'll get there in a minute. But I want to look at the way that God loves us in the Old Testament first, and the way he loves us all the way back in Genesis 1. You don't have to turn there. We, you know, we, most of us know this story well. God creates humanity in his image. Remember this? He creates everything else, and he comes to a point where he says, okay, I'm going to create man and woman. I'm going to make them in my image. And he gives them a piece of his glory, I would say. He shares it with them and says, now you're going to go, and you're going to be my image bearers. They're going to bear my image in the world. And he gives them an identity. He places them into his family. He gives them a vocation, a job, a calling. And he says, go and manage the earth. Procreate, fill it, and bear my image Everywhere that you go. And he looks on them, and what does he say? It is good. It is good. He looks at humanity as a proud father, and he loves us. And he says, you look like me. I love you. So I would say one of the first acts of God's love is creation, and then looking at us and saying, I've given you an identity, and I affirm it, and I love it. And yet, humanity walks away, right? We see this in Genesis 3. Humanity walks away and we say, you know what? We don't really need your identity. We've got our own thing going. We're good. And we walk away from God. But his, his, very, his very next acts after that are pursuing us, pursuing humanity in love. He moves towards us despite the fact that we were doing everything we could to walk away. 
And God looks on these people who he created, who he loved, and who he's given an identity, and he says, you know what, I'm going to move towards you. And, and what does he do? He gives them the covenant through Abraham, and he gives them the law through Moses, and he says, here is how you can now become image bearers properly. Through obeying this, through loving God and loving others, I love you guys. I see the potential you have as my image bearers. I want this for you. Here's how you can be in relationship with me. Here's how you can live this out. So he sees their identity, knows what he's made them to be, and then he serves them by giving them the commandments, which weren't meant to just point out sin. It was meant that they could live a full life in him. He serves humanity in that way. And then ultimately what we see, if, you want to start, if you're in 1 John 4, we're going to read this together. Look at what John says about God's love. 1 John 4, uh, verse 7. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son, into the world that we might live through him. Do you see how he's serving us in this? He's pursuing us? Then John says this, this is love. Not that we loved God, because man, we had just walked away, right? But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what we see here in, in, in the New Testament, John is writing saying, this is how God has loved you. This is, this is how God has loved. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's for you. He sends Jesus to bring you back to him and to give you a new life in relationship with God and relationship with one another, to go and love the people around you. But what I love about this is that it's continually God seeing us, being for us, despite our brokenness and our sin and our walking away from him and saying, I see something good in you, it's my image, and I want to see that grown in you through Jesus. So I'm sending him to you, and I'll give you a right relationship with me and the world so that you can be my image bearers in the world around you. I want to give you just a, an analogy of this. I don't know if, if you've seen this in the news lately, but... Uh, there was this, this woman in South Jersey who was driving down I-95, and she ran out of gas. And, and she ended up being near a few homeless guys. And she started to get out of her car because she was going to go and try to find some gas, and this man approached her. You know, picture what you want of a homeless man. Pick, you know, approaches her, and he says, stay in your car, lock the doors, I'll be back in less than 20 minutes. So she does this. She stays in the car, and this man goes and uses his last $20, fills up a gas can, and brings it back to her to fill up her car. What a picture of love, right? He serves her. Now, the story takes an even greater twist in that she is so moved by this that she starts going and visiting him. And she's been bringing him some clothing, bringing some food, some money, trying to care for him. Because she sees who he could be. She knows who he could be and says, you know what, I'm going to serve you now. And she started a GoFundMe page, which raised over $350,000 to help this guy. And now there's a lawyer and a financial planner involved trying to care for him so that he spends the money well because, you know, they feel a responsibility to this. 
But what I'm trying to point out here is this is what love looks like. It sees who someone can be as an image bearer of God and goes and serves them sacrificially. This is what love is. This is what God has done for us. Most evidently through Jesus. So then I want to look at John 13. If you have your scriptures, you can turn there. If not, I will read this with you. But this is how we see God, God historically through the Old Testament, through the law, making us image bearers again, giving us a way to live. Then he sends Jesus and he says, I want you to have new life in him. I want you to bear my image to the world around you. We're going to be kingdom builders together. And then look, let's look at Jesus and how he loves. In John 13, it's important to set the context here. John records part of, part of the Last Supper that's totally unique to his, his gospel and the way he recalls this. What we see in John 13 is Jesus and the disciples getting ready to celebrate the Passover feast together. And they're all in a room together. And, and if you can only imagine, I'm sure that the stress was palpable. The disciples knew how stressful the situation was because they knew that the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, they, everybody else tried to kill him. And now they're back here, and they're celebrating the Passover, this, this holy feast together. The stress is probably evident to them. The stress that Jesus knows is coming upon him through the crucifixion. He knows that his death is coming. He knows that Peter is going to betray him, one of his closest disciples, and deny him three times. And in the room also celebrating this feast together is Judas, who's going to betray him and have him killed. That's the scene that we find happening here in John 13. So read this with me. John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Some of your Bibles might translate that, or he loved them to the last which is, to me is just a great dramatic rendering. He loved them to the last moment. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, underline that word, circle it, that word so there. Let me read that again. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, knew that he had come from God, knew that he was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then go down to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And then look over at verse 34. A new command I give you. 
Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you see how John is, is, is recalling this story? Do you see what Jesus is getting after? He loved them to the last, bookended by, I've given you a new command to love one another. And in between is this moment of incredible servitude, of, of serving the disciples, saying, I'm going to love you even to the last moment by serving you. Even in the moment of this great desperation, this moment of great pain, of all this stress in my life, I'm going to bend down and I'm going to serve you. Church, this is what love looks like when it's lived out. Jesus knew who they were. He knew what was going to happen. He knew all these bad things that were going to come upon him, yet he stoops down and he serves them. And then he goes on from there. In the next couple chapters, you see it. He prays for them. He prays that God would give the spirit to them so that they can become like him. And he says, you're going to do even greater things than me to the glory of God the Father. He shares his love with them. He shares his person with them. He shares his spirit with them and says, join me in being image bearers of God. And we do this by loving one another. Church, this is so foundational to who we are meant to be as Christ followers. Responding to God's love for us, responding to Jesus' love for us, and then becoming part of it to the world around us. So here's how I would define love. After reading this and studying this and praying about this for a few weeks, please don't make any great claims about this anywhere. This is me thinking, you could tell me I'm wrong later, but I don't think it is. But again, I encourage you to think about it this week. It'll melt your head, all right? But I really think love comes down to this. Love is appreciating someone's identity as an image bearer of God and sacrificially seeking their well-being and growth. Let me say that again. We see this in God. We see this in Jesus. Love is appreciating someone's identity as an image bearer of God. They might not yet be a Christ follower. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying everyone bears the image of their maker. It's appreciating that identity in someone as an image bearer of God and then sacrificially seeking their well-being. Because it's a sacrifice. It's not always reciprocated. (laughs) But it's seeing who they were meant to be as image bearers of God and saying, I want to see this grown in you. I will serve you to see that happen. And it's what God did for us in the Old Testament through the, through the covenant. It's what Jesus does for us through his sacrifice, through his service. And it's what we are allowed to do. It's what we get to do with the world around us to say, we see who you were meant to be as image bearers of God. Now we will serve you to help you achieve that. And this applies to all people. I think so often we we land in, okay, I'm going to do that with my church friends. I'm going to do that with the people I see around me. This applies to everyone we come in contact with. In our job, in our school, we're able to look at people and see that they have been made in the image of God and love them as such and serve them as such. 
Christian or not, gay or straight, Democrat or Republican, maybe they're from New Jersey, like me, we love them anyway, your kids or your spouse, your brother, your sister, your enemy or your best friend, everyone bears the image of God. Everyone can be served to be grown in that reality. That is our calling, church. That is what it means to love. We see it in God, we see it in Jesus, and then they invite it Invite us into that and say, we have done it, now you do it too. We give you the spirit to go and live this out. Because church, it's, it's, it's very much a spirit-led thing. This is not something that we can just always will ourselves into. However, I would say this. It's sort of like the, the spirit is available to us, like the water main is onto the house, but will you actually open the faucet? Like, will you allow, like, the power is there. Will you actually allow God to flow through you in that? That's where the willpower comes in. That's where we do have to make decisions to love people, even when it's difficult, or especially when it's difficult. So I want to look at, I want to take just a little bit to look at how do we actually do this. All right, let's get practical about this. What does it actually look like to love people? Go to Philippians 2 with me. I would encourage you this week to maybe meditate on this. Dwell on it, whatever you want to call it. Focus on it, memorize parts of it. But I think this is where we really see how it is that we are able and called to love. Philippians 2 says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any tenderness and compassion, Paul says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now listen to what he says about Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Church, I would argue that we are called to love the way that Jesus loved by being called to be humble the way that Jesus was humble. See, I said it earlier that I think the opposite of love is not so much hatred, but it's pride that keeps us from loving others. It's pride that says, you know what? They don't deserve this. I'm going to stay here in my lofty position. I'm, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to come down and serve them. They wronged me this way so many years ago, and they've never made it right. So I, I'm not going to move towards them. No, no. They need to move towards me. You hear the pride in that. That's not hatred. That's just pride that says, 
They don't deserve this. I'm better than them. They don't deserve my love, my affection, my sacrifice, my service. And yet here, we have Paul saying, if you want to know what it looks like to love, it means to take on the same attitude as that of Jesus, who was where? The greatest, the highest, the king, seated at the right hand of God, everything in his beck and call, all glory, angels worshiping him all the time, 24 hours a day, in, in sinless existence where his will is done perfectly and yet he bends down and comes and takes on human form to live with people who will curse him, spit on him, hurt him, intentionally be against him. Nasty people like you and me <laughs> who regularly still do these things to Jesus. And yet he stoops down and he says, I'm going to serve you. Paul's saying that's the attitude that we need to take on. That's the attitude that we take on to serve the people around us, to say, I can come down from my throne of leading my little kingdom, and I can serve you, and I can love you in this way. I think really what it comes down to is loving your neighbor as yourself. C.S. Lewis talks about this. I think it might be a mere Christianity, but he says, think about how you love yourself. You're constantly cutting yourself slack. Right? Constantly saying, well, I'm not really that bad. I'm not really that hard-hearted. I'm not really that evil. Constantly forgiving ourselves when we yell at our spouse or we, you know, give that guy the finger driving down the road. Or, you know, we're like, oh, I'm not that bad. We're constantly constantly loving ourselves well. (laughs) Constantly serving ourselves. And Jesus says, love your neighbor that way. Constantly be giving them grace. Constantly be forgiving them. Constantly be thinking, oh, they're not that bad. They're just like me. They've been made in the image of God, too. So this passage in Philippians 2, the love your neighbor as yourself concept, this is about being humble and submitting to what God might be doing and calling you to love the people around you. So I'm going to give you a couple things out of this passage. To love someone well, you need to think about what Jesus has done. You think about what Jesus has done in coming down off of his throne and becoming a servant to the world. Becoming a servant to us. Washing us, cleansing us, dying on a cross for our sins. So we've talked about that. Then we need to think like Paul says, more of others and less of ourselves. Now, I'm not saying this is fake humility that says, oh, I'm just a piece of garbage. I'm just saying, think properly about yourself. Think, who am I? Who am I really that Jesus has come and saved? And who are these people around me that Jesus wants to work in and reveal his identity more and more? We need to sacrificially notice their identity and grow in it. So let's take a couple examples. Think about how think about how you might do this for someone you enjoy, someone who maybe even reciprocates this in your life. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a you know a a love interest in your life. Think about how it is that you can sacrificially serve them. How you can identify God's image in them and try to see that grown. Now, if you've been married for any length of time, you can think like, okay, like, I can do this, I can do this, but the truth is, 
this starts to get harder the longer you've been together, right? Like, weird stuff starts to come out that you're like, man, I've been noticing this for 10 years and I haven't said anything, but it's driving me crazy, right? These things start to come up in a relationship or somebody changes in a way that they need to be loved differently than they have been before or God starts doing something new in them and wants to grow their identity in a new way and they need you to serve them differently than you used to. See, this isn't all about romance and just feeling great and having things always reciprocated well. Oftentimes it comes down to sacrifice for even people that we love easily, but we have to do the difficult work of sacrificing and saying, okay, you need me to love you in a new way. You need me to serve you in a way that you didn't used to. I'm going to come down off of my throne, and I'm going to serve you. And praise God, in in healthy relationships, it often is reciprocated, right? And we feel great about it. But even if it's not, what do we do? We look to what Jesus has done, who loved us completely unreciprocated, and served us with his all, and loved us to the last. Or think about this. Think about this in, in a relationship with somebody you don't really get along with. Maybe identify somebody in your head right now. Who's somebody that I would, you know, I really don't care if I don't ever see again. Maybe somebody that just drives you crazy at work. A neighbor. You can't stand their landscaping. I don't know. People have weird things that go on, all right? My neighbors are here. That was a joke for you guys. Uh, but we, we get weird, these weird things that come up with people that start to put this enmity between us, and, and we, we hold on to them. It's like, think about somebody in your life maybe that you have like that. What would it look like for you to identify the image of God in them and to seek to grow it? To seek to serve them sacrificially? Christian or not? What would it look like to do that? I think this is where... 1 Corinthians 13 in, in these relationships really starts to show itself to be the way that we should go. Love always trusts. Maybe they're not out to get you. <laughs> Maybe they just don't know how you need to be loved. Love always protects. Love always hopes. Think about that. Hoping something good is going to come out of a relationship rather than regularly going into it thinking this is bad. That's what it looks like to sacrificially serve someone. Love keeps no record of wrong. Think about how many records of wrong we keep for people. Our kids, our spouses, our coworkers, our friends. They did this, they did this, they did this. Sacrificially serving them would say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to hope for something better, and I'm going to take the first step to move towards them and to serve them in this way. Finally, think about someone who may be out to get you. I know there are people in this room who you might have enemies at work, people who are out to get your job, to take something from you, to harm you in some way. Church, I would argue that we're still called to love them. Now, again, I understand There are some of us in this room, statistically, who have been through great pain at the hands of someone else. I'm not trying to make little of that and say, oh, well, just get over your pride and love them. Listen, I understand there's great need for counseling and time and healing and boundaries. I'm not trying to make little of that. I'm saying in our everyday relationships, 
or there's somebody who's just competitive with us or they're out to get us, what does it look like to love and serve them? I think oftentimes what happens here, this is what happens to me at least, I think if I serve them, they're going to get away with it. If I love them, who's going to hold them to account? Church, this is where we need to look at what Jesus will do someday. I think this is where we need to look ahead to see what's coming to the world through Jesus. It says here that God, in verse, first, uh, Philippians 2 again, God exalted Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday, everything will be made right. Someday, Jesus will be proved true, and every knee will bow and worship him to the glory of God the Father. And here's the promise to us, church, to us Christ followers who are in Jesus, we rise with him. So for this time when he has been made low, we are made low with him. And someday when he rises to to the glory of God the Father, when he is risen as, as king, he comes back as king, we get to live with him and rule with him. So these little squabbles that we've had when someone was not proved wrong when we wanted them to be, when we served someone and they got away with things and we were made low for a time, someday we have the ability to look forward and see that we will be raised up with Jesus to live with him for all of eternity. So we can serve people now, we can love people well now, even if it means they're getting away with something. Even if it means that it comes at the expense of our reputation even if it means they get the promotion and I don't. Because someday we rise with Jesus to live and rule in the fullness of his kingdom. It's what God has done for Jesus, will do, and we get to be a part of it someday. Church, that is the upside-down kingdom that we have been called to live in. It's not a kingdom like the rest of the world. It's an upside-down kingdom which everything gets reversed We go low, and someday we are raised up. We go last, so that someday we are first. Do you see it? This is what it means to love our Christian brothers and sisters and the world around us. Can you imagine with me for a second, rather than being a church or a a demographic of Christians known for what we hate and what we're against, can you imagine if we were known for what we loved? People. If we were known for our serving people, of seeing God's identity in them, seeing God's image in them, and saying, we will come alongside you and we will help you grow. We will work with you to grow God's love in you, God's image in you. Can you imagine what it would look like in our marriages if instead of allowing it to go cold, we were continually pursuing someone saying, I love you, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to see God's image grown in you. Imagine what it would look like with our kids. I tried to put this into practice this week. I realized how hypocritical it was if I was like losing my temper with my kids and trying to preach about love. So I, I really tried to put this into practice to say, okay, how do I affirm them in this moment that they are made in God's image and love them and maybe let them get away with something? but serve them and try to grow God's image in them rather than just, you know, 
breaking down on everything. Imagine what it would look like in our church, in our community, in our politics, in our world, if we lived like this, if we truly loved the people around us by identifying God's image in them and saying, I love you, I want to see this grown in you, I want to see you come to know Jesus and and live in his mission. Church, I think it would be a radically different world. I think the church and Jesus would be known for what he should be known for, his love and his sacrifice for us. Would you pray with me?